You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Jason Kemp. My name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. And um, yeah, we're going to start off this morning with a little bit of an experiment. Um, Another nod to our math people in the room. Um, In preparation for this, I cut out some strips of paper, one side white, one side blue, and it's like, well, let's try and make this work. And then I realized, you know, these are just way too short. So I was like, I need a longer piece of paper. Um, you know, like toilet paper would be great, but it's just not strong enough. So I went to CVS. Well, this was actually yesterday's. I wasn't able to rescue it from the trash very well. So we're headed to a wedding this afternoon. Uh, we have a nephew getting married. So I, uh, just so you guys know, I went and got some candy at CVS so I could get a new receipt this morning. All right. So we've got some candy for the trip. All right. So this morning, what we're going to do is, has anybody ever heard of a Mobius strip? I'm sorry, I looked down. Okay, we got it. Oh, yes, yes. There's some, some math nerds in the room. All right. So a Mobius strip is, is this. I'm just going to keep rearranging everything. How's that? You take a piece of paper, and yes, this is half of a receipt because, well, there's two services and we needed two of these, and I wasn't going to buy two you know, six boxes of candy. Um, So you take a strip of paper and you don't just make a loop with it as such, right? You actually take the paper and you make a half twist and then make the loop and connect it, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to connect this right here, right now. See, this is the high-tech tape that we use here at New Hope. All right, so I have connected this strip of paper to itself, giving it one half twist. So you can see where the the words of the receipt and the backside of the receipt meet and join, right? Okay. Now, what is fascinating about the Mobius strip is if you were to take, don't tear the one piece of paper I got left. So if you were to take the paper and a pen, and I'm going to start, if you can see right here, You see where the words stop and the back starts? I'm going to put my pen right there, and I'm just going to keep drawing a line on this piece of paper. And as we go around, I'm not picking the pen up because there's more tape to be had. And would you all want to pause while I run and get more M&Ms at CVS? Okay, I'll I'll show you. Here's the line. We're just going to pick right up where that line tore the paper and just keep going. And here pretty close, I should have got a shorter receipt. Here pretty close. All right, you see the words coming? So here comes the front side of the, I didn't pick the, the pen. It's still going. It's still going. Still going. Eventually, we will make it around this strip. This is one of the most awkward things I've ever done in front of people. But it makes sense when we get there, I promise. 
we're going to keep going all the way around this Mobius strip. And if you can see, here comes the line that I started, and it is now connected. What? Yeah. So this piece of paper has two sides, right? No, we just proved it has one side. I started drawing a line, and it never ended until the line touched. This is one side of paper. <laughs> and if you took the marker, and this would even be more awkward, so we're not going to do it, but if you took the marker and you started coloring on the edge all the way around, guess what? The paper only has one edge. It only has one edge. So this is a one-sided, one-edged piece of paper. Does that make sense? It's two and one all at the exact same time. Because we can see two, but yet it's one. We're going to come back to that. Now Zach knows why there's a CVS receipt on the table this morning. Yeah. So we've been in a series called The Heart of Worship. Talking about connecting to the heart of God. That worship is when we enter into God's presence, we become overwhelmed and fully aware of of who God is. We're captivated by his character. We see his actions in the world and toward us. We encounter God. And when we come face to face with God, of all who he is and all that he has done, we respond. That response is worship. And as Zach talked about last week, worship was Jesus's life. And he gave us a a definition for us to consider. We're going to use it again this morning. That worship is our proper response to God for all he is and all he does. It's a continual response of adoration and action manifested both in the lives of the individual believer and in the corporate life of the church. Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to dig deeper into the corporate life. Um, that, that part of this definition, Randy's going to take that here in a couple of weeks. But today I want to look at those two words right in the middle, adoration and action. That Zach went on to talk about worship in terms that we are to adore God with our lives. That everything we do in life can be directed back to God. I, I love that he included clipping your toenails in there because that can be an act of worship too because we are mindful of God's presence in our life, of who he is and what he has done for us in every moment. Worship looks like Jesus' life. On earth as it is in heaven, Jesus lived a life of worship. And either we're worshiping God or we're worshiping other things. And that's idolatry, isn't it? So our adoration, our love, looks like praise and glorification. The Westminster Catechism, one of the first questions, on, I think the first question is, what is the chief end of man. It's to glorify God, to adore Him, to exalt, to magnify, to enjoy God, to love the Lord or your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there is action involved in this adoration. We sing, we pray, we, we listen, we learn, we, we speak. So as we think about worship as adoration, as Zach talked about last week, We've had a week to dwell on this. So then we come in this room today. What has been your response? If worshiping God is our proper response for all God is 
and all that he does, what has been our response this morning? We've read, we've sung, we've listened to words of scripture, prayers, songs of the faith. We've sung words like, hallelujah, God above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. And Lord, give us clean hands. God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, God. And we've talked about freedom, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, and the Spirit, God has set us free. God, I want to be your hands and feet. Here am I. I will go. Send me out to make you known. And then the verse from Living Hope that hits me every time we sing it. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace that the God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame? Randy talked about how we respond in the face of tragedy and death. What has been our response, our proper response of worship to seeing the character of God in what we have done this morning? Have we responded properly? Have we seen God? Have we heard what he has done? How have we responded? Because worship is both adoration and action. And so in this adoration, that definition also says at the end, it's, it's lived out in the individual believer and in the corporate life of the church. Worship is also action. Action is expressed in the second of the greatest commandments. To love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or as we talked about in Philippians chapter 2 recently, that we're to consider others before we consider ourselves, to serve one another, to share the power of the gospel with one another. So action is, is loving one another, witnessing to them. I don't know, witnessing, that's witness and evangelize. Those are a couple of kind of churchy words that have positive and negative connotations in our culture. But the Bible tells us we're to be witnesses which simply means we're to bear evidence of who God is and what He has done. We're simply just to bear the evidence in our lives. That includes our disposition with others, how we treat them, how we, how we interact with them, but it also involves the message that comes out of our life and how we speak about who God is and what He has done. That action can come through teaching or illustrating or serving, or honoring people, or knowing them, or loving them, or forgiving them, or blessing others. There are two ways that we evangelize. We evangelize through serving, and we evangelize through our witness. Jesus showed us that serving others was at the core of his very heart to be. That compassion, grace, and mercy was at the forefront of Jesus' life and ministry of his worship. Matthew 20, 28 says that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others 
and give his life as a ransom for many. So how did Jesus show compassion? Well, there was that moment where the disciples were annoyed by all the little kids running around. And they're like, kids, no, over here, go away. This is, this is adult time right now. So, bye-bye. And Jesus said, no, kids, come. And then he gave a lesson to the adults. What about the widow crying in the streets because her son had died, her only child? Jesus had compassion. And he healed her son. Or Zacchaeus, the, the lowest of low in the community, hiding up in a tree, just hoping to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to your house. Why don't you come on down? I'm going to have compassion on you. Jesus was known to eat with sinners, the broken people, the lame, the diseased, the outcasts. He broke the cultural and, and spiritual rules of the day. Right? I mean, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he talked to her alone. He broke the rules. What about the woman who had the disease of many years and she fought through the crowd just to touch the hem of his robe? And his power went out from him and healed her. That was not appropriate. Jesus saw crowds and he had compassion. And he found a few fish, a few loaves, and he fed them all. See, serving is displaying the power of the gospel to those around us. Serving others and meeting their needs is a display of the power of God's love to them. And sure, meeting their needs, it meets that immediate need. But there's also extended needs that serving one another needs. And we're speaking directly to their soul, displaying the power of the gospel. Matthew 25 tells a story about the king who represents God. And the king will say to those on his right, says, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me cared for me. I was in prison and he visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply to the Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? When were you naked and we gave you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king looks at him and he says, I tell you the truth, that when you did it to one of the least of these, you were also doing it to me. Serving one another is an act of worship toward God. That our action of worship is an act of worship, serving one another. We also witness, we also evangelize through witnessing of bearing evidence for one of, of um, God's presence in our lives. And Jesus showed us an example for this by leading people to encounter the power of the gospel. Sometimes that looked like creating an experience where they would run into the character of God. Sometimes it looked like a direct confrontation of, of God's truth. Jesus called the disciples. 
Many of whom were in very different stages of life and set mindsets and places. Jesus called the disciples, and for three years he disciple them. He taught them the truth. He taught them about grace. He taught about serving. He taught about witnessing. He confronted them with the truth of his word. He met with Nicodemus in the middle of the night. What about the woman caught in adultery and there was the crowd waiting to stone her? Jesus confronted not just her and her sin, but also the crowd and how they were looking at it wrong. He rebuked the Pharisees, the proud religious leaders. What about the paralyzed man that came down through the roof? Jesus didn't just say, you know what, get up and walk. He also said, your sins are forgiven. And he confronted those in the room who didn't believe that that could happen, and that's blasphemy. And even in the moment of his death and his suffering, Jesus turned to the neighbor, the one on the cross next to him, and witnessed about what God has done. Evangelism, witnessing is proclaiming the power of the gospel. Serving is displaying it. Witnessing is proclaiming it. That we're laying out the truth of God's word. We're revealing sin and the consequences. And we're offering forgiveness through God's mercy and grace on the cross. And we use those words a lot, from truth to grace, mercy. Grace is simply giving what we deserve. We didn't deserve forgiveness. The Bible says because of our sin we deserve death, but grace, God gave us something we don't deserve. And mercy is, is getting a second chance. God didn't have to send his son, but he did. Gave us a second chance through his mercy. Acts 1 8 is a continuation before when Jesus had crucified, uh, he had been crucified, he was resurrected, he appeared to the apostles a number of times, and before he ascended into heaven, Jesus continues the Great Commission, and this is what he says Acts 1 8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Jesus modeled this in our life. I'm sorry, Jesus modeled that in his life for us. Or do you want me to switch mics? Sorry. Here at home, we're getting some rain in the room, and that's better. Sorry. Alright, so Jesus modeled that in his life of bearing witness, bearing the evidence of who God is and what he has done through serving, through displaying, and through witnessing, through proclaiming. And so our proper response of worship this morning, the big idea of all this, is that we need to display and proclaim who God is and what he has done. We're going to bring this full circle. Remember the Mobius unit? It's two sides of one, right? Yeah, sure. I get it, but I don't get it, right?
This is two sides but one, and it has one edge, not two. Even though we see two, even though we see two sides and two edges, it really is just one. The Mobius strip has become a symbol that we use in our culture very often. Anybody know what this looks like? Go ahead, Sandy. Infinity. Infinity, right. Okay. And so this is an example of what we're talking about in this definition of worship. That there are two things, but it's one. That worship is both action and action. So our response is both to adore God, what Zach talked about last week, but it's also action. It's to witness, it's to serve, it's to evangelize. It's both of those things. But yet it's one thing. And in each of those things, there's also two other things. The one we worship is both individual and corporate. It's what we do together, and it's what we do our own. And when we're acting and witnessing, we're actually serving and evangelizing. We're, it's two and one. That is worship in our lives. Distinctly different, but yet altogether the same. Because the infinity just keeps going around and around and around, right? And so as we worship, worship is the prelude to witness. As we worship, as we encounter who God is and what He has done, we then become witnesses. We serve and we evangelize. We, we proclaim the truth of God, of who He is and what He has done. And when we see God at work, what does that inspire us to do? Witness. I'm sorry, worship. You follow this? That when we worship, that inspires us to tell the story of God. And when we see the story of God, that inspires us to worship. And then we're inspired to tell the story of God. And then we worship. These go hand in hand. It's two and one at the same time. It's a continuous response, as the definition said. There is no break. There is no stop. <coughs> worship is a continuous response of both adoration and action. And the witness of a church, the work and worship of a church, they are directly proportional. This next slide, this can't happen. God doesn't allow this. That one church on the left side can say, oh, you should see us worshiping. The church or individual. Man, I, whew, my prayer life, my worship, off the charts. But, you know, I really don't do much. That's not for me. I'm called to be a worshiper. Or vice versa, that, you know, worship, uh, I pray a little bit here or there, or, you know, I kind of go to church here or there, or, you know, we kind of, I kind of check the box of worship, but man, let me tell you, I'm out on the streets every day telling people about Jesus. I'm proclaiming his truth every day. It doesn't work that way. We are inspired to worship when we see the story of God being lived out in our world. And when we worship, we're inspired to tell the story of God. These are directly proportional to one another in the life of the church. It's continually moving. Worship is the prelude to witness. Witness is the prelude to worship. And so our proper response of worship today is to display and proclaim who God is you see, we are a sent people. Sent as an S-E-N-T, sent. 
God has sent his church and every single one of his people into the world to display and proclaim who he is and what he has done. John chapter 20, John shares basically his version of the Great Commission. And here's how John does it. It says that Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So God sends Jesus. We need a Savior, so God sends Jesus. Jesus is crucified, resurrected. He's ascending into heaven. He says, You know what? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit because just as God sent me, I'm sending you. God sends his church and every believer into the world to display and proclaim who God is and what he has done. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.